Alrighty, good evening everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this evening, amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 to 30. That's what we're going to be starting off with, and we're going to be kind of just going everywhere. So you all bear with me. Um, the message, my, The title of my message is entitled... The price of being a disciple of Christ. And um, the pro- everyone is going to pay some sort of price when they get born again. Whether it be family coming against you or you going off onto the mission field of some sort or whatever the case might be. But there are some prices that we all pay together as being disciples as we ought to be separated from this world. You know, God doesn't just save you and just leave you be. He doesn't do that. When he saves you, he takes you through a process called sanctification. Which means that you are to be set apart from this world, set apart from sin on to God and for his service. And so there is so we're going to be talking about some of that tonight and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you all. All right. So Luke chapter 14 verses 26 to 30 it says, "If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he can He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And so I I do want to point out something here. We see that Jesus says that if you don't hate not... um, If any man come come to me and hate not his father and mother and his wife and children, brethren and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now a lot of people especially in the lost and dying world, will probably say, well, see, there's there, there, there's a discrepancy there. Because Jesus says you must love one another, but then he goes in and says, you have to hate all these people. Well, the truth of the matter is, that is what Jesus said here and in other places does not contradict each other. What Jesus meant when he said, if, if you don't hate by the word hate, in that context, he's saying that you need to put him first. Amen? You need to put Christ before your own self, before your wife, before your whole family. You need to put him first. Jesus is not saying that you have... He's not saying to hate those people. Because I'll tell you something. If you hate your parents... If you literally hate your parents, you're not honoring them, are you? You're breaking that commandment. 
And so, therefore, that can't be what Jesus meant there. But we have to put Christ above all. Christ should have the preeminence in every believer's life. Preeminence meaning he has to have first place. Above your spouse, above your parents, and family. I want you to I want you to consider Abram for a second. What did, what did God tell Abram? He said, "I want you to get out of out of your out of the country, out of your you know father's house, and go and I'll, I'll I will bring you into a land. I'll show you." And we know that Abram he left, but he didn't forsake all. He brought his he brought his brother Lot. The point I'm trying to make is. As being a disciple of Christ, we need to put Christ first above all. That's not to say that you know we, we shouldn't love others, we shouldn't love our spou- your spouses, you shouldn't love your family. You should love them. But your love for God should be higher than your family. Amen? Because Christ comes first. I wanted to clarify that because there nowadays there seems to be much confusion in different places and people will take that out of context and they will twist it to their own destruction. And they they do that to try to get you to doubt God's word. And so we have to stop and take our time and read through these and figure out what Jesus is saying. We, 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 we shouldn't try to guess and think what he said that's what he meant no we need to take we got compare scripture with scripture amen get some from the old testament get some from the new testament um but i also want to point out too that the price that we pay as disciples is not is not that of salvation because christ paid that amen he's the only one that could pay it we're bankrupt without Christ. We couldn't we couldn't even save ourselves without Christ. We're sinners that have a flesh that we we need a savior. If we could actually get our own salvation and keep it um, then we wouldn't need Christ dying on the cross. But because Christ died on the cross and the fact that he said it is finished It means that it is finished. He paid the very price for your salvation and my salvation. There is nothing else to do for for that payment because Christ paid it in full. In John 19.30 it says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And so... Now kind of going back here uh, to Genesis, to what I was talking about with Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will, I will shew thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. 
See, God told Abram, I want you to get out of your father's house. I want you to I want you to leave. I want you to go and go to a land where I show you. Now think about that. How many of you would do something similar if God said, I want you to leave this, I want you to leave the state. But I'll show you where you need to go when you don't have a map or you don't know where you're going to go. Would you go? Would you have enough faith to leave the state and go to where God wants you? See, that's how much faith Abraham had. But we also see Abraham's faith in God and and his love for God in so much that he was willing to, to be obedient even though he didn't know where this land was. And that is where that is where our faith and love should be placed first and foremost is in God. <clears throat> um, so we see that God called Abram to leave his family to go to a land he, he would show him. Um, but when you read. Through the life of Abraham, we do see an example of how Abraham feared God and obeyed what God told him. And I've gone to this passage many times in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 2, and it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, what does that mean? It means that God had tested Abraham. He tested his faith. And he passed. See, Abraham feared God so much. You know, in the New Testament, it says that Abraham even considered that God would raise up Isaac from the dead. Do we have that much faith and obedience to God to obey God in such a way that we just cannot even fathom you see this is part of the, the, this is part of being a disciple if God tells us to do something we should do it amen if God says go there then go if he says don't then don't um, <clears throat> let's see here in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called according... Oh, be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received them in a figure. We see that Abraham had faith in God. We saw, and, and Abraham was called what? He was called a friend of God. Why? Because he loved God so much and feared him so much that he put, you see in his life, he de- his, his works demonstrate the faith that he had. And so much that we saw that Abraham put God first. Now, Abraham was subject to like passions, and there are things that he did that he sort of 
wanted God to bless and sort of rushed his hand into something that you know wasn't with you know Hagar and got Ishmael. So there were times that you know Abraham had doubts. But overall that you see that Abraham was such a friend of God that he feared God and did exactly and, and he did exactly what God wanted him to. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I'll tell you something what this country needs again. This nation needs a fear of God. Amen. This nation needs to get on its knees and repent. We need churches. We need God's people to humble themselves and seek God and pray and repent. You see... We do not fear God anymore. We've gotten so comfortable in our rights and our freedoms. We've gotten so comfortable and and we take our rights for granted, thinking we will always have them. We take things that we have for granted and we don't consider the fact that they they can be taken away quickly just as they were given. And we've gotten so comfortable to where we are that we just allowed sin to to run rampant. Amen? This is why we have a lot of the problems that we do because we have gotten so complacent and so comfortable in our little tiny bubble. We don't want to speak the truth because of the fear of man. We don't want to go out and tell people the honest truth according to... And I'm going to... I'll tell you what, I think there's a time coming that God's going to change that. God may do it by the means of getting us out of our comfort zone. Because think about it. Think about in the days of the apostles. They preached in the name of Jesus. They were brought before the magistrates and they they were flogged and they were commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. But you know what they did? They preached in the name of Jesus. Even though they were forbidden by all the Pharisees to not preach in the name of Jesus, they were willing to step out and say, it is better that we obey God rather than man. And I think there's going to be coming a time where we will have no choice but to step out of our comfort zone and go out and do that which God wants us to do. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. You know, and uh, you might say, Well, what's the whole point of this? Why, what does this have to do with, you know, the price of being a disciple? Sanctification has a lot to do with it. When you're truly born again and spirit filled, you will hate your sin. 
You just will. You just don't want, you don't want to sin. Even though you will sin, you don't want to sin. You want to do that which pleases God. And I'll tell you what, it's getting much harder to do so. But that's why we need to rely on the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it's by the power of the Holy Ghost that we're able to be obedient. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You know, with having a price of being a disciple, everyone everyone has a different... There are different prices that people pay of, of being a disciple. Like I said, some people will get persecuted by their own family. Some people, it's being called in the mission field. Pastors. They're... Their price that they pay for being a disciple is that of stewardship. See, pastors don't own, they don't own the church. They don't own the flock. That belongs to God. It's God's church. It's God's flock. But God does give pastors. And pastors are those that have stewardship over the flock, over the church of God. Amen. Over the truth. And I'll tell you that pastors will have the greatest responsibility, which means that come judgment day, they're going to be judged based on the stewardship of of how they handled the church of God and the flock. Because the pastor is that under-shepherd that God gives to watch out for your souls. Amen? But pastors are a gift from God. So we see that pastors are, they're stewards. Preachers are also stewards. They're stewards of the Word of God. matter of fact, I will say that every born-again Christian is a steward. Is a steward over money, but more importantly, is a steward over the Word of God and how you handle it. See, it's a blessing that we can handle the Word of God with our hands, but there comes a great there comes a great stewardship over that. Amen. And the greatest thing about that is Jesus said we're not to add or take away from what His Word. It really should be, if God said it, it settles it. But people's behavior nowadays, they want to change it because it doesn't fit their narrative. I don't care if it doesn't fit their narrative. God says don't change it. We are not to change God's word. We ought to be changed by it. And people don't seem to get that anymore. We've lost a fear of God. We lost a love of we just we just lost sight of loving God. You know, we need to die daily. Paul says I die daily. Now what does that mean? What that means is you take yourself out of the equation and you do what God wants you to do. You put him first. You put God first. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ, Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. That is going to be the greatest thing that we do as a disciple of Christ. You see, Christ laid his life down for us. Why do we think that we're better than that? A servant is no is not greater than his master. Amen. If Jesus gave his all, then we ought to give our all to Jesus. Whatever little we might have, we need to give our whole life to him. That's not to say that we should be grudgingly about it. We should not just like, oh well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll I'll go to church today. No, it's I get to go to church today. Amen. Let's let's have a right attitude about going to church. Let's have a right attitude about God. Let's have a right attitude about our walk with Christ. You see, when you love somebody, you want to do good for them. You want to do things that please them. You see, it's not about just you know, just kicking your feet and say, well, I have to do this, I have to... No, it's, I want to do that. Why? Because you love them. See, it's not that we love Christ first, because He first loved us. Amen? Christ loved, loved us. But when we come to a point in our lives, when we get born again, and we realize how much Christ loved us, we want to love Him and give back to Him. Not because it, not because we're commanded to. It's because we want to. It changes, doesn't it? You see, think about this. In the Old Testament, it was you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, and this and this. That was in the Old Testament. And when you look in the New Testament, you, you know what? You, you, the, all the people that got saved, you know what they did? They willingly took, they took their possessions and sold it and willingly laid it at the feet of the apostles and made distribution according to each need. See, there's a difference because in the New Testament, people were willing to do it. They weren't commanded. They were wanting to do it because they wanted to be a blessing. Same thing. Amen? We need to be a blessing. And... We should be a blessing. If God blessed us, if God blessed us, we ought to take the blessings that God gives us and, and give it to others. Jesus said, as freely as you receive, freely give. Amen? It's not about, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. thing is, I think there's a lot of Christians that are living for me, 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 and me. I'll tell you what, that's not what heaven's going to be like. Because when we get to heaven, you know what? It's all about Jesus. It's about being with Him, worshiping Him. You know, while we're here, God is preparing us for eternity. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't, take an account of that and so what we do here on this earth matters 
What we do in this body for the kingdom of God matters. Amen? Because I'll tell you what, what we do here will have an everlasting or an eternal consequence, whether good or bad. And so this life is not about it's not about us. We need to take ourselves out of the equation. You know, when we start making this life about us, it's pride. We get puffed up. God resisteth the proud. You see, we need to make this life about Christ. Amen. Because Christ, and I'll tell you what, when we go home to be with the Lord, we will be, that's where, that's where we will be, is worshiping Him. Sure, we'll probably get to see our loved ones. But even so, we get to see Jesus and get to be with Him for all eternity. I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to that day. Um, <clears throat> so, as I said, there, you know, Part of a part of the price that people might pay is they might have family members, lost family members that might come against them. Uh, Micah chapter seven verse six: For the son dishonoreth the father; the daughter riseth up against her mother; the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. And Matthew chapter ten verses uh, thirty-four to thirty-six: Think not that I come. To send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. And the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Let me tell you something. The word of God is a sword. And it divides. And the moment you get born again with the word of God. It's going to take you out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take you from being of the world to being of God. So we see, again, sanctification means set apart unto God. But people, you know, people want to go to heaven without having to be sanctified. It's not how that works. That is not how that works. But people have this attitude that, oh, I can just live however I want. God loves me. Yeah, God loves you, but you know what? God also loves you enough to tell you the truth. Because you want to know what you know what real and true love is? True love is you being able to go up to someone and tell them the truth about something, about their sin. Amen. Look, if 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 you were a doctor and you knew that your patient had cancer, would you not warn them? If a doctor refuses to tell its patient that they had cancer and they said, oh, no, you'll be fine, and they die of cancer, that's not love. Love is being able to tell someone the truth regardless of how popular it is. All this LGBTQ, whatever, all the, the whole queer community, that ain't love. See, the whole queer community are a bunch of hypocrites. You know why? Because they want you to be tolerant of them while they scream intolerance. They demand, they demand tolerance from you, but they're, intol- 
but they are intolerant towards you. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Which tells you the agenda behind that. I'll tell you what. If you think that these wicked people are getting away with things now, they're not getting away with it. Because I'll tell you what, if they die in their sin and they go to hell, I'll tell you, they're going to be resurrected one of those one of these days, and they're going to have to stand before Almighty God before that great white throne judgment. And they're, and every little dirty little secret they held and every little dirty little secret they did in private will be exposed. See, God's not messing around with sin. And you know what? He doesn't want you messing around with sin. I'll tell you what. Messing with sin is like picking up a rattlesnake expecting to be okay. You think you could pick that thing up and play around with it? No. That thing will bite you. Guess what? Sin's going to do the same thing. You start messing and fooling, fooling around sin, it will, bite, it, will come back to, it will come back to bite you. Sin is a poisonous serpent you don't mess around with. Amen? That's, that's just one that you just you don't want to be messing with that. Um, all right, I've got a lot more pages to go, but I'm not going to go through every verse I have here. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So when they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God in the flesh. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5.24-25 And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the 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 affection and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know what that's saying? You cannot be a Christian and walk in the ways of this world. Amen? You have to walk according to the, the Spirit. You have. We are our children of light. Let us walk in the light. Not in darkness. You know why? Because God is light. And in, and, and in God, there is no darkness. So if God is light and we are children of the light, we should walk as children of the light. Not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Ghost. Because it's only by the Holy Ghost and by by God's grace that we can do anything at all. Second uh, Corinthians 10.5 Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'll tell you what. I won't go there, but in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3-5, three, three is basically where the Ark of the Covenant is passing by, and you got Dagon standing up. But when as that Ark is passing by, Dagon falls. You know what that's a picture of? 
God knocking down idols. And I will tell you, you can make your wife an idol. You can make your husband an idol. You can make your children an idol. You can make your family an idol. But I will tell you this, that if you have any idols in your life, rest assured, God will knock them down. Amen. Anything that you put above God is an idol. Anything you love more than God is an idol. And anyone who worships idols is an idolater. But you know what the good news is? You can be forgiven of that. If you have idols, you can repent. You know, the only unforgivable sin is blaspheming against the Holy Ghost, which last time I checked, a believer cannot do. Why? Because a believer has the Holy Ghost within them. Amen? And knows the power of God and knows what God can do. 1 John 5.21 Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 to 17, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. See, God is telling his people to come out of them. God doesn't just save you and say, oh, just that you're fine. He doesn't do that. When God saves a person, he calls them out. Amen? He calls them out. And he sets them aside for his service. And I'll tell you something. Sanctification is not a is not a short little deal. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime process. We're all still going through it. You know why? Because we are predestined to be in the image of His Son Jesus Christ. We are predestined to be in His image. <clears throat> so I want to say this, kind of just to wrap up everything. I went through a lot, kind of skipped a lot too, but, you know, I didn't want to take up the whole entire time. So I want to say this kind of in closing here. That your commission, should you choose to accept, is to die daily. Crucify the flesh and the desires of it. Walk in the newness of life. To not walk according to idols, to, to abstain from idols, to abstain from fornication, to flee fornication, to speak the truth in love, to serve God with a pure conscience, with all sincerity and truth. Luke 14:33 So likewise whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath he cannot be my disciple. If you can't put Christ first and you cannot take up your cross 
and follow him, you're unworthy to be his disciple. Jesus says, "Put you got to put him first. He doesn't stop there either. He says, take up your cross and follow me. I want you to think about some of the disciples when they were called. When Jesus called them, you know what they did? They left their families. They left their occupations. And they followed Jesus. Amen. The disciples and how they were called is an example of how we ought to live our lives. So I want to encourage you and exhort you today that if there's anything that you need to forsake then you need to forsake it if there's anything that you're guilty of then repent of it amen I'll tell you what God loves each and every single one of you he does and he wants he wants the best for you And when I say he wants the best for you, I'm not saying health and wealth and prosperity. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes the best that we need is not what we think. We go through trials. We go through tribulations. Why? Because it's it's good for us that we do. Because it burns off all that junk in our lives. We may not like getting chastised, but you know what? That's what's best. When we're out of line and when we sin, we're going to get chastened. Amen. But you know what? God is not, he's, he does that because he loves you. He's not picking on you. Amen? With that said, let's, let's go ahead and I'll stand.